Productions, and welcome to Unknown. I'm Jason McClellan, and the gang's all here. Maureen Ellsbury, Ryan Sprague, and Shane Hurd. Thanks for hanging out with us for this final episode of 2020. Today, we're wrapping up our 2020 season by looking back at some of the most noteworthy UFO and extraterrestrial-related stories of the year. Here's what we're doing. Today, we're running through 10 of the biggest UFO and extraterrestrial-related stories of 2020, and rather than trying to rank these stories by importance or magnitude, we'll simply go in mostly chronological order. So let's start in January, and this is a story. It's always fun when we do these shows because it's difficult to remember back to the stories that happened this year, you know, whether it was this year or the previous year, because the stories kind of all blend together, but also like, especially with this being 2020 and, and a pandemic year, everything kind of blends together anyway. <laughs> so it's hard to think all the way back, but let's go all the way back to January. And the year began with a fun, juicy story that prompted an explosion of headlines and fueled speculation. On January 10th, Vice.com published an article titled, The Navy Has Secret Classified Video of an Infamous UFO Incident, in which MJ Benias details the Navy's response to a Freedom of Information Act request submitted by UFO researcher Christian Lambright, who is hoping to gain additional information about the heavily publicized 2004 Navy UFO encounter that took place off the coast of San Diego, known by many as the Tic Tac UFO Incident. Benias explained that the Navy's response indicated that it had, quote, discovered certain briefing slides that are classified top secret, end quote. This response from the Navy continues, quote, a review of these materials indicate that they are currently and appropriately marked and classified top secret under Executive Order 13526, and the original classification authority has determined that the release of these materials would cause exceptionally grave damage to the national security of the United States, end quote. This comment about grave damage to national security certainly caught the attention of UFO researchers and media outlets alike, with some interpreting this comment as an admission that the Navy has information about menacing extraterrestrials, and others interpreting it as an admission that the UFO involved in the incident is actually secret military technology. Both speculative interpretations and quite possibly overanalyzing the statement here because it's simply a cut-and-paste definition of top secret. Here's the definition of top secret. Top secret shall be applied to information, the unauthorized disclosure of which reasonably could be expected to cause exceptionally grave damage to the national security. But of course, official Navy comments like this sound juicy and they fuel speculation. So it's understandable while the whole story generated the buzz that it did. And it was just the first of many official comments about UFOs we got over the course of the year. Do any of you guys remember all the way back to January when this dropped? Barely. God, I feel like it's been like a crazy year on top of everything else going on in the world. But there's been a lot of... UFO stuff going on and statements and people making things out of certain statements. So um, I I honestly had to go back and uh, and Google this, Jason. I didn't remember this at all. Well, and of course, like, you know, we, we have had lots of military comments and we'll get into some of those, more of those in a little bit. But again, they all kind of blend together because as military and government does, there is a lot of cut and paste that's going on, especially with their responses, because of those, those are the approved responses. So it's hard to keep all these stories separate because in my mind, right. they all blend together. Right. And I think this was sort of the first of, uh, you know, what would become a battle throughout the entire year with the Navy spokespeople of like wording and like you said, copy and pasting certain things and yeah. uh, this this whole thing. So I, I really respect a lot of the journalists early in 2020 who were going after this stuff because, you know, they they forced them into a corner. And now look where we are, you know, almost a year later. It's pretty incredible. Were you going to say something, Maureen? Just that it's, it's a complete recycle of 
of what we'll see that happens later this year. And it's because of process and, and that process, uh, you know, you have one department that, that says it, even though we all kind of know that these are already out there and they are official. And then we have another department, oh, this department did it. So now we have to do it. And uh, it's that endless cycle of just government tape. Yeah, that's a great way to phrase it. All right, let's move on to our number two story, and that is COVID causes UFO sightings surge. You want to take this one, Shane? Yeah, absolutely. So on April 2nd, The Telegraph published a story entitled Coronavirus to Blame for a Record Number of UFO Sightings in Belgium. And then on April 13th, The Daily Star ran a, a story entitled Coronavirus Pandemic Sparks 30-Year High Spike in UFO sightings worldwide. Several media outlets around the world published similar stories. So that month, Jason and I looked into the data on this show, and there was, in fact, a decent jump in sightings for March compared to March of 2019. In fact, there were 647 sightings reported to MUFON in March of 2020 compared to the 372 reported in March of 2019. And then there were nearly 800 sightings reported to MUFON in April, compared to the 483 reported in April last year. So a huge increase. So there was, in fact, an uptick in UFO sightings reported during that specific period of quarantining, staying at home, and isolation. So probably in January this year, we'll take a look back at the data for all of 2020, and we'll see if that trend continued for the entire year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, we could conceivably do it now, but the year is not over. So to give it a fair shake and yeah. give a chance for all the data to come in, we'll wait until we're in the new year and then we'll look back at that together. Yep, sounds good. All right, on to number three. Pentagon officially releases UFO videos. Wow, that sounds massive. Maureen, you want to go with this one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, this is going to relate to my uh, recycled government tape um, comment yeah, yeah. earlier. Uh, on April 27th of this year, which is 2020, um, we're stuck in this horrible year, uh, the Department of Defense issued a press release to announce the official release of those three Navy UFO videos that we keep seeing resurface from time to time to fill the headlines with new rounds of stories. So here's what the press release said. The Department of Defense has authorized the release of three unclassified Navy videos, one taken in November 2004 and the other two in January of 2015, which have been circulating in the public domain after unauthorized releases in 2007 and 2017. The U.S. Navy previously acknowledged that these videos circulating in the public domain were indeed Navy videos. After a thorough review, the department has determined that the authorized release of these unclassified videos does not reveal any sensitive capabilities or systems and does not impinge on any subsequent investigations of military airspace incursions by unidentified aerial phenomena. DOD is releasing the videos in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real or whether or not there is more to the videos. The aerial phenomena observed in the videos remains characterized as unidentified. And you know, media outlets love stories about UFOs. So naturally, this statement opened the floodgates. Media outlets from around the world were running stories about the Pentagon releasing UFO videos. But, you know, for people like us who have followed the story of these videos for years now, the DOD's statement really didn't add anything new to the saga. There are these Navy videos, and the Navy already told us in 2019 that the objects in the video are considered unidentified. So the Pentagon has stated before that previous releases of these videos were unauthorized. And as for the videos themselves, as the DOD acknowledges, these videos have been circulating in the public for years now. Uh, and even the video themselves that the DOD officially released with its recent announcement are identical to the ones previously released by, you know, outlets like To the Stars of Academy of Arts and Science. The length, the quality, everything about the videos is the same. So the Pentagon's decision to issue another statement about the videos and officially release them was a little strange and kind of confusing, but they did it anyways. Confusing is right. And <laughs> here we are, you know, at the end of the year, and we still don't really understand this move and similar moves made throughout the year, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I really think it goes back to the fact that, uh, you know, these things were going to get out there, whether the DOD or Pentagon liked it or not. And they had been out there for a while. So I think they were playing catch up in this case, in my personal opinion, and trying to sure. take control of the situation. Damage control yep. there. That's yep. the term Damage control is certainly, certainly a good guess. But yeah. again, I mean, there's so much that's out there all the time and there really is no need for them to say anything. They could just let it run wild and let people talk about UFOs all they want. And there's no need for them to say anything at all. And almost by saying something, Adds a little fuel <laughs> and, to and you, fire. Protest too yeah. much, yeah. Right. You mm-hmm. wonder how long. I mean, they're they're late to the party, uh, you know. So how long and how many conversations about sitting around uh, do we comment on this or do we not happen behind closed doors? Probably a yeah. lot. They may be struggling to set a pattern how to deal with this information and, and the way that it rolls out. And so you know, maybe we're going to see some kind of awkward, you know, stops and starts, but. You know, if the if the bill goes through and, and we have the UA, uh, UAP task force and reporting, you know, you just know that from now on the pattern has been set that information is coming out and they've got to get a grip on how to, you know, handle that from a media perspective. And, and may, you know, maybe that's a little awkward and they're struggling with it. So, I mean, I could see this still happening for a while, but sooner or later you would think that they would, you know, develop some kind of policy or something that, you know, creates some consistency in their responses. I would like the, the job title of government uh, UAP uh, media liaison. <laughs> But then everybody would hate you. I know. Because yeah. She is yeah. hated by everybody. And I, I think it's a little unfair for that poor woman. But yeah. All right. But but to your point, Shane, I mean, I think, you know, it probably caught them a little off guard with this next story. And that is our number four, the New York Times big story. It talked about UFO crash retrievals. Go with this one, Ryan. Oh, yeah. I definitely remember this one, as I'm sure you guys, your phones were going off the hook in email after this. Yeah. On July 23rd, New York Times published a much-anticipated article titled, No Longer in the Shadows, Pentagon's UFO Unit Will Make Some Findings Public. It was written by Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal, who we know very very well from the original 2017 article. And uh, the two authors of that now legendary article of December of 2017, um, where they exposed the UFO project, the ATIP, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And uh, this article, this, I guess, follow-up kind of, um, essentially provided an overview of some of the uh, the UFO-related stories that had been generating buzz in recent months, namely the Intelligence Authorization Act for the fiscal year of 2021 and the uh, UAP Task Force, which we're going to be talking about in a little bit here. Um, Marco Rubio's recent comments about UFOs and comments about UFO crashes and recovered material from former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid and and Eric Davis, a former Pentagon contractor. And uh, Eric Davis, he reportedly worked as a consultant for ATIP, and he told the New York Times that in some cases, quote, examination of the materials had so far failed to determine their source and led him to conclude we couldn't make it ourselves, end quote. The article also says that Davis claims he, quote, gave a classified briefing to the Defense Department agency as recently as March and about retrievals from off-world vehicles not made on this earth. And that was the quote that really went viral and sent everyone into a tailspin, off-world vehicles. And uh, yeah, it's that statement right there that generated generated the most attention from the public and from media. And it was just crazy for a few weeks after that, from what I remember. Yeah. And understandably so. I mean, here we have the New York, a a New York times article talking about recovered vehicles from not of this earth. That's insane. And certainly justifiable that people went nuts over this. I was right there with you getting uh, an insane in barge of a Texts and emails from friends. What's what's going on here? <laughs> no, correct me if I'm wrong. Was this the article that all the hype was around in mystery for like half a year or something? That yep. seemed like a thorn yep. in our side for a while. Yeah, absolutely. There was so much hype built up over this that oh yeah, there's going to be this bomb drop. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. And then after the story came out, um, 
yeah, Leslie and Ralph did that interview, you know, even pointing out how much trouble that caused the article mm-hmm. and almost prevented the release of it. Now, was it was this the one where Harry Reid then backstepped on a quote? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So much drama with this article. <laughs> yeah. And it was supposed to be really long, like a pretty lengthy yeah. write up. And we were told by the authors that they had to walk it back a ton. So God knows what they really wanted to get out to the public with it. We may never know, or we might know in the coming yeah. months. Who knows? We've heard I that think we'll know. some more big articles are coming. So welcome yeah. to our world. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, a big part of that article was the mention of the UAP task force. So let's jump into that with our number five story about the UAP task force. And this is a little long because there's so much to talk about here. And this all isn't necessarily uh, from one story or in order. Um, this was a big story all year long. So on August 14th, the Department of Defense issued a press release to announce the establishment of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, or UAPTF. And according to the press release, the UAPTF was approved on August 4th, 2020, by Deputy Secretary of Defense David L. Norquist. This task force is led by the Department of the Navy with oversight by the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. As had previously been reported, the DOD reiterated that the UAP task force was established, quote, to improve its understanding of and gain insight into the nature and origin of UAPs, end quote. And its mission is to, quote, detect, analyze, and catalog UAPs that could potentially pose a threat to U.S. national security, end quote. This was the official announcement, but... We heard plenty about this mysterious UAP task force earlier in the year. Mentions of some new task force related to UFOs were seen back in May when researcher John Greenwald brought attention to statements obtained by writer Roger Glassell from DOD spokesperson Susan Goff, who stated that, quote, the investigation of UAP sightings by the multi-agency task force is ongoing, end quote, multi-agency meaning the DOD and the U.S. Navy. That was really the first realization of a current UFO task force. The July 23rd New York Times article we just mentioned reported that the UAP task force is the continuation of the Pentagon's previously revealed UFO program, ATIP, which reportedly ended in 2012. And the New York Times article says that, quote, the program never lapsed, end quote. The article even states that Luis Elizondo, ATIP's former head, quote, confirmed that the new task force evolved from the advanced aerospace program, end quote. The discussion of the task force in the New York Times was related to a draft of the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021 that was submitted by Senator Marco Rubio on June 17th on behalf of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Within the committee comments was a section titled, quote, Advanced Aerial Threats, end quote. And this essentially detailed a request for a report to be assembled to provide a summary of the current UFO situation by the Director of National Intelligence in consultation with the Secretary of Defense and other relevant parties. And the source of that information is supposed to come from a few different sources, including the UAP Task Force. Now, the comments in the Intelligence Authorization Act state that, quote, the committee supports the efforts of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, end quote. The report being requested specifically asks for, quote, a detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena data and intelligence reporting collected or held by the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. Susan Goff issued a statement to Popular Mechanics and other journalists on July 26th, stating that the DOD was, quote, creating a task force to gain knowledge and insight into the nature and origins of UIPs, as well as their operations, capabilities, performance, and or signatures, end quote. And she added that, quote, the mission of the task force will be to detect, analyze, catalog, consolidate, and exploit non-traditional aerospace vehicles slash UAPs posing an operational threat to U.S. national security and avoid strategic surprise, end quote. And to the dismay of everybody hoping that the UAP task force was going to be some awesome government project openly sharing UFO info with the public, Susan Goff has, on multiple occasions, burst that balloon 
stating, quote, DOD does not discuss publicly the details of either the observations or the examination of reported incursions into our training ranges or designated airspace, including those incursions initially designated as UAP. So the UAP task force is, in my opinion, a giant mess. And we still have more coming about the UAP task force in a few stories here. But we have conflicting stories, conflicting reporting, and we still don't know if it actually is something that has been going on for a long time, or if it is, in fact, brand new as the press release, the Pentagon itself released. And we don't know if it truly is the continuation of ATIF. It has been going, if there never was a lapse, that's what the reporting says. But the Pentagon, again, with its trend of mixed messaging here, has made everything everything related to the UAP task force, such a complete confusing mess. Mm -hmm. I I feel like we should just get to the point where the government should acknowledge a small budget for a public UFO program that, uh, you know, citizens can report to as well. They know this is going to satisfy a lot of those things. I totally get not being able to reveal information that is involved with training exercises and and things that are going to really corrupt our safety around uh, international relations yeah. and, and technology we have. I get it. Yes, we'd like to hear every detail that some unknown object came and, and tried to shut down a nuclear base and, and this and that, because we eventually find out about some of those sightings. But I think it would not be that expensive to have this public organization in place ryan will sit at a desk with, surrounded by paper oh <laughs> you know, hell yeah. have, a, have a couple of people they could hire rogue planet to to do this <laughs> for the public and have a small budget for it i i mean all these these secret projects over the year you know going from grudge sign blue book which were all literal iterations of each other and now we have a tip in in this task force mm-hmm. and whether or not they are the same continuation you know like you said is foggy I don't know. It's so convoluted, honestly. It is. It is. What what always concerns me too, guys, is the government-funded programs. I mean, right from the start, like we know that something's going to be hidden from us, probably for national security purposes, but also because they can control the information that gets out to us. So while a lot of people get excited about, you know, the UAP task force and they say, you know, disclosure's finally coming. Like, has it? Is it? I I mean, we had some of the reports we had to get in the public sphere through leaks from the actual intelligence agencies, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, yeah, Yeah. I'm just as confused as you guys are. When I heard about the task force, I'm like, am I supposed to know about this as a UFO (laughs) researcher or what's going on here? Well, and again, based on the mixed messaging and just just all the confusion out there surrounding this, a lot of what we – or a lot of people know and then recycle and and spread around about the UAP task force is all from rumor and speculation, right? And a lot of it is based off of that Intelligence Authorization Act, because that's where we first had mentions of this as part of a possible request that may or may not ever happen. You know, this thing got passed around from bill to bill to bill and still hasn't passed. And the one it's currently maybe part of, we don't even know if it's part of. And even if that passes, we don't know if this request for this report is even going to happen. Um, but in that, see, I think that was the root of everybody assuming that this was going to be, yay, they're going to share UFO information with the public simply because in the wording of that, it said that a report should be issued in an unclassified format. That doesn't mean that they're giving all the information to the public. It just means that report's going to be unclassified. So yeah, I mean, through FOIA, maybe eventually people would be able to to get a copy of it and, and see what they were up to. But it doesn't mean they're sharing information with the public. That's That's nothing they have said publicly has indicated that's part of their their operating procedure that's their mission to be transparent and share ufo information with the public you know we've heard that from various sources talking about how senators are getting interested and the government's getting interested and the military wants to be transparent but none of their messaging has hinted at all about any of that. So we're just going off of rumor and speculation Mm -hmm. at this point. When it comes to the UAP task force itself, we don't know that much. 
And again, people are getting confused with the Intelligence Authorization Act. I've heard comments uh, recently about people saying that they're waiting on that to pass for a budget to be created for the UAP task force. However, we've been told the UAP task force has been ongoing and it's currently operating. Clearly it has money. It's not waiting on a budget. And if you looked at that document when it was issued that had the section about the UAP task force, again, it didn't talk about creating a task force. It said they support the efforts of the task force, implying that it was already running. And there wasn't a budget line in there that I saw specifically for the UAP task force. So I think that, again, is just speculation that that has anything to do with creating a budget for the UAP task force. But again, we don't know just because we have very limited information to work with here. All right, let's move on to our next story. We are at number six, and that is Venus. I'm sure all you remember the big hype about Venus and all the excitement that caused. Maureen, what was so exciting about Venus this year? Well, we finally uh, figured out that women are from Venus. No, um, right. yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> was back on September 14th that the Royal Astronomical Society held a press conference to announce the discovery of a rare molecule called phosphine in the clouds of Venus. Um, so, the press release explained that on Earth, this gas is only made industrially or by microbes that thrive in oxygen-free environments. Um, MIT scientist Dr. William Baines, who was part of the press conference, explained that there are two possibilities. One, there could be some completely unknown reaction that is creating phosphine, or the more exciting one, that it could be life. And we know all too well that any time any sort of space news comes out that hints at some sort of revelation about extraterrestrial life, the media goes nuts. Oh, yeah. And there was a, a extreme explosion of headlines around the world that claim that alien life has been discovered. Yeah. And we certainly saw that with this particular story. And, you know, all the the newspapers reporting that that life was found in the clouds of, of Venus. So um, think about a thriving cloud city sort of, yeah. of, of microbial life. But, um, you know, all research like this, the findings were met with skepticism almost immediately. And even now, the researchers behind this particular story have downgraded their claims after reanalyzing the data. So the phosphine levels appear to be almost seven times lower than they originally reported, which is, is quite a bit. But the yeah. team is still confident that there is gas there. And as they originally stated, much more research is needed. So, and this is one of those headlines also that completely overtook everything for about a week and then disappeared and, and nobody talks about it anymore. And always the same with these these news re stories reporting extraterrestrial life is people get super hyped on them and then kind of forget about them. And, oh, great. So, and it's, you know. important, it's important to do the follow-up too. I mean, yes. as we've said, there's been so much more that th these stories are ongoing. This research, research like this is constantly evolving and, and moving forward. And this one, there's been new developments with the story, yet very few have reported on it because it's far less sexy to say, actually, <laughs> that big news we hyped earlier isn't as sexy as we claimed it was. It's still cool, but not as sexy. I mean, there hasn't been that follow-up. So still, I'm, I'm sure everybody who got excited about the, those initial articles are still thinking there are aliens on Venus. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> with all of these, and we've seen this with Enceladus and, and a lot of other planets, um, yeah. this is, is very exciting news. And we continue to find developments, um, you know, even on Earth where life is existing in conditions that we thought previously impossible. <laughs> and, and that's the exciting part about this because we need to, and as we always say, life can't survive in this atmosphere as we know it, but yeah. we don't know everything. We're, we're quite, uh, minimal in our knowledge of, we know very little. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Our next story for number seven, Japan has a UFO policy. Ryan, tell us about Japan's UFO policy. Yes, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, September 8th, during a press conference, Taro Kono, the defense minister of Japan, he was asked if he had a UFO policy and if Japan was looking to cooperate with the U.S. in the future. And uh, Minister Kono said he planned to address a UFO policy soon in that he and the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, talked about it, but he wouldn't elaborate beyond that. Um, then, on September 14th, about a week later, 
media outlets in Japan reported that Minister Kono had issued official protocols for Japan's self-defense forces to follow uh, when dealing with unidentified aerial objects that would pose a national security threat. And uh, these are pretty straightforward, you know, try to record and photograph the UFOs, uh, take steps for necessary analysis of a sighting, and uh, including all information provided separately by the public. So Minister Kono, he recently stated that he does not believe in UFOs, and he's been saying this for many, many years. And he asserts that no SDF pilot has ever encountered a UFO in Japan. But he has these protocols in place so that they're ready if when they do encounter a UFO, there is a protocol. So, you know, while he personally doesn't believe in it or uh, says that no pilot in Japan has ever encountered a UFO, which we know is not true. I call BS. I call yeah, BS yeah, that's totally that. false. Um, yeah. There's a safety net now. So if you call that progress, great. But um, this is pretty interesting. I mean, hey, the U.S. Uh, task force and UIP and everything is trickling over to other countries and in, in influencing the way they're looking at it. So that's my thoughts on it. It's cool. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those things too where it's like, look, it's just an unknown object. We're not saying it's extraterrestrial in nature. You should have every country should have some sort of policy in place for how to report those things. You think it's a no-brainer. Yeah. And it's, if they don't already have that, that's terrifying. Yeah. But it's <laughs> what are it's they doing? The, everyone's hung up on the stigma. So yeah. you know, he's saying I don't believe in UFOs. You're saying you don't yeah. believe in in trying to figure out what an unknown craft flying through your airspace. Yeah, I'm is? sorry. That's yeah. not we a defense all. minister, if you no. ask me. No. He's yeah, failing seriously. at his job miserably by right. saying that. And and we, like you said, we know minister. there are cases of pilots there seeing yes. UFOs that potentially might be extraterrestrial in nature, or maybe they're their, you know, neighbors, uh, North Korea or something, you know, like yeah. you don't know, you have to be able to figure that out, yeah. or at least try. And my biggest reaction to this story was just kind of laughing that any country would look to us for leadership when it comes to UFOs. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Give me a break. No, we, we have no idea what we're doing. Look, look to France, look to yeah. Chile, yeah. look to people yeah. who have those programs yes, in please. a non-stigma environment. <laughs> yeah. Well, something that I think goes a long way in helping reduce that stigma that still does surround the UFO topic. That's our number eight story. The release of the documentary film, The Phenomenon. Maureen, you want to tell us about The Phenomenon? Yeah, yeah, of course. And I hope everyone's seen it already. But, you know, if you've watched UFO documentaries during the past couple decades, chances are pretty good that you've seen at least one of James Fox's films, both Out of the Blue and I Know What I Saw are some of the, I would say, best, most compelling documentaries on the subject of UFOs in general. Um, And he's successfully continued this trend with The Phenomenon, which was released to the world on October 6th. So the film's official description is including shocking, never-before-seen testimony from high-ranking government and military officials, NASA astronauts, and riveting footage. The timely film includes bombshell reveals about UAP incursions at nuclear weapon facilities and the monumental events behind the New York Times' recent disclosure of UFO videos and the Pentagon's classified UFO program. Providing eye-opening evidence that mankind is not alone in the universe, Senator Harry Reid says the phenomenon makes the incredible credible. Uh, So we actually spoke to James on the Rogue Planet show the week of the release of the movie, and he shared that uh, preeminent UFO researcher Jacques Vallée was reluctant at first to contribute to the phenomenon, but when he saw what James was doing, he eventually became a producer and a consultant on this film. And Valet now calls this the most credible documentary ever made about UFOs. And I agree. Because, I second that. I third that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's because we're looking at a timeline of events, and he includes a lot of really monumental cases from the past. And we get some never-before-seen footage of some of these events and interviews with with people that were related that we have never seen. And it comes off as so credible and I would show that to anybody that that like thinks that the UFO UAP community is completely crazy uh, and to show them why we 
as, as researchers are so intrigued and interested in what's going on in the world. And, you know, he even covers a case that is uh, the Rua, the aerial school incident, where it actually involves maybe beans, where, where most people would be like, oh, this is then the when you start bringing in actual physical organic entities, people start getting crazy. But watch it because this is a very, very curious case. And it's with a ton of children and their teachers, and they have stuck to their stories for, for you know, what it was 1994, so less than 30 years, but close. Yeah. I, and I love how the, the description states it riveting footage. Just like you, you said, there's so much footage in there that, uh, you know, has, has never been seen or has rarely been seen. The interviews with people, um, present day and, uh, back yeah. during John these, Max. these things happened. Yeah. 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 I, I don't remember ever crying at a UFO documentary before, but, and you guys, oh, Ryan, you cry you at every documentary. You guys know I'm Come pretty on. sensitive to begin with, but I yeah. cried twice during this one during the Rua Zimbabwe part where the kids, you know, some 20 something mm. years later or whatever. Um, that was really powerful. And then um, hearing uh, Lonnie Zamora's wife talk yeah. about yeah. how the Socorro, yeah. New Mexico yeah. case like ruined his life and um, mm. his reputation and that he, he was really like sad. And James was able to like find all these letters that people had written to Lonnie Zamora, like in, you know, help like telling him, we believe you, we've seen these things. So that was a really powerful moment for me. Um, James isn't just like shoot a talking head interview and done. Like he was digging for years for some of this information mm-hmm. and going to like the national archives and getting things that no one's ever seen before. So, I mean, I think Harry Reid's right. And um, Valet's right. This is probably the most uh, in-depth study we've ever had of the ufo phenomenon throughout the decades so kudos to james on that i know he's been working on it for god 10 years and (laughs) uh, went through every hurdle to get this thing made and then up until including it not being in theaters during the pandemic which was his bucket list dream but um yeah maybe there's still hope that'll happen yeah I, I hope I yeah. hope yeah, when I hope so. theaters are are back up that it's re released in theaters and and you know yeah. what it's I think it's like ranking the number one documentary in the definitely in the U S if not in the world yeah, at it's the had moment a really in good the year. world yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, wow and which which is incredible and I think it, it sticks to that point that people are starting mm-hmm. to realize that there's more behind this whole phenomenon that uh then what they just see you know the woo stuff so uh i love it and and yeah congrats to james i know that you know he got pretty emotional when we interviewed him too i mean this is a, a very intense passion project for him that he's worked very hard on and he's done a, a great service to the to the world i i would say putting out something that's not a complete pile of trash yeah yeah, I love that movie. And, and like you said, I mean, I, I'd recommend it to anybody, you know, for people who are into this subject or people just getting into it. I think it, it does a really good job of laying the groundwork, going through chronologically, essentially, and, uh, you know, presenting those facts, presenting witnesses and and making it a digestible thing for anybody really getting into it. And for people like us, we're very familiar with pretty much everything that was covered in that film. There are so many little nuggets in there Mm. that will surprise you. Certainly surprised me. It was a a fun ride. Well, we've reached number nine and that is that leaked UFO photo. Shane, go ahead and take this one. All right. So on December 2nd, the newly launched media outlet, the debrief, they published an article entitled, Fast Movers and Transmedium Vehicles, the Pentagon's Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. That article revealed that two classified intelligence reports on UFOs have reportedly been widely distributed in the U.S. intelligence community during the last couple of years, and the reports reportedly contain clear photos of UFOs. Well, a day after this article came out, the debrief published a follow-up article that included one of uh, these UFO photos and allegedly leaked by someone who would have received the intelligence report. 
Now, although this UFO photo has apparently been floating around on the internet since May of this year, and it's uh, allegedly been in the possession of other individuals since late of 2019, it was its publishing by the debrief, along with additional details about the incident itself, that launched it into the spotlight. Almost as soon as it was published, Internet Sleuth seemingly solved the mystery, asserting that the UFO in the photo is nothing more than a Mylar balloon, possibly a Batman balloon. The apparent shape of the object in the photo is seemingly a perfect match to the shape of a Batman balloon. Balloons can and do reach those high altitudes where the jet would have been flying, and a Batman balloon is unlikely something a fighter pilot has ever seen while flying. So a balloon is a logical explanation in this case, based on the information that's publicly available. However, there is allegedly more information that goes along with this incident. So if we ever get access to that data, uh, we can reevaluate and see if the balloon identification remains a plausible explanation. And I think that's a really important point based on the information we have at this point. And what we have is not that much. Granted, it's more than we have with most UFO photos, but, uh, you know, then take into account the the reported backstory of the photo, where it comes from, you know, those are all great uh, contributing pieces to this whole case in itself. But, um, you know, when it comes to UFOs, and I, I think you agree, Shane, that when we were dealing with UFO photos or videos and trying to identify things, a lot of people really like to overlook things that are good possibilities or are, are reasonably logical conclusions and rather jump to sure. something far out or extraterrestrial. It's easier to make that jump to something incredible rather than looking at what is reasonably logically possible for the identification. And in this case, like we said, all these things certainly could explain a balloon, but we weren't there. Um, I'm still mesmerized and, and kind of confused that a pilot was able to capture a photo like that mm-hmm. in an F-18 flying at 600 miles an hour, whatever they were doing at their cru- cruising speed and still managed to get a solid object like that. I mean, I've never been able to do that with, with my phone <laughs> driving 60 down the freeway. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's still kind of confusing. And I thought it was really cool that uh, on the, the holiday episode of the mystery wire podcast, George Knapp did clear up some confusion about that because he said, you know, and a lot of people had heard that George had allegedly been in possession of this photo since 2019. And a lot of people found that curious, but he clarified that when he heard this photo had been leaked um, and heard that it was a, a photo taken from a cockpit, a fighter jet of an object out the window, he assumed it was the same photo. And he had, he, had, he had looked at the photo that he is in possession of um, in some time. But when he actually pulled it out and took a look at it, he realized it's a completely different photo. It's a different photo. Maybe it's from the same incident, but it's, it's a different photo. It's not the same photo that we've seen publicly. And he also clarified it's not the other photo that was mentioned in the debrief article about uh, with this triangle object seemingly coming out of the ocean. So it's not that either. But he does have this other photo that looks similar to the one that was released, but it's not that. It's a different, uh, a photo of a different object. So mm-hmm. that's kind of in- interesting. And George is a journalist first and foremost, mm-hmm. and he knows that and wanted to clear that up. So George always, uh, you know, is good about that, about following up stories, following up his statements to clarify things, to make sure that people are working with the full picture. So kudos to George on that. Yeah. And yes. he also, he also, um, I think we should keep in mind his source said, you cannot share the photo. And he respected that because it'd be easy for him to just drop it tomorrow. And everyone's like, yep. if you have it, show us. But again, like it's the same with the debrief, the guys over there, like they have sources for a reason. So, I mean, I think as a journalist and those who respect these journalists, like just respect that, like, yeah. Don't make all these yeah. conspiracy theories that like they're trying to muddy the waters or they're part of the disinformation. No, they're reporting on things when they can. And I think too, with this story, Jason, Shane and Maureen, um, it really showed how good and smart 
and diligent the UFO community is in many respects. We always bash on UFO people and say we're our own worst enemy. But in this case, I mean, within hours of that photo going online, people were pretty much able to possibly determine what it was, uh, this Batman Myler balloon. And then you started having people doing tests of like, oh, well, um, I went outside and drove my car this miles per hour and took in like, that's cool. That we we have the ability really to do cool. that and um, possibly it's a valuable resource. It's, it's a huge army. It's great, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. for every bad thing we say about the UFO community, there is some good right. in there too. I think. <laughs> and, and and this is frustrating too because I mean my my degree is in journalism and that's journalism one hundred and one. I mean you have yeah. to respect the chain of command of your sources and and how you get your information and you have to be a trustworthy thing. You can ruin your credibility in one word, you know, one mention. And so yeah. it's, it's more of doing your due diligence in reporting as a non-biased journalist than it is your commitment to the UFO community at this point. Otherwise you'd be in a, a spiral hole. And, I, and I've got to say the second I saw the photo, I did think balloon as well. And it also reminded me of those flying humanoid stories we used to get uh, reported at Open Minds oh, yeah. a lot. Um, that were, uh, what was it? It was it like it was like a human drone thing or, or balloon. Yeah, that big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That definitely was one. Um, the other one that always with mylar balloons makes me laugh is the shark. Remember the flying? Oh yeah, shark yeah. The flying in, shark at, at in through England. the. Um, and you, so, so actually, this is kind of funny because I found a mylar shark that I had bought when that story came out for us to do a test on, like, like Ryan mentioned, it's like, go do that test, but we had never put it together. And so I just recently cleaned out my storage locker after 10 years and uh, gave it to my nephew and we filled it up. And those things, they're the ones that have a little remote control and they're, they're like very crappily made, but they have helium in them, but use the remote to swish the tail and, and, uh, are they Back called air swimmers? Air swimmers, yeah. I think and air swimmers. Yeah. They are. Um, and so I have video of it being used inside. <laughs> but the big thing that's is awesome. you are not supposed to bring them outside because if you do, yep. it's just going to float up. So that's what this particular yep. case Jason mentioned did. And it was seen from a commercial aircraft. <laughs> Imagine looking out the window as you're flying and seeing and a shark go a shark. by. <laughs> Sharknado. Oh, is this Sharknado? Yeah, mine was a zombie. High? What's going on? Mine, mine was a zombie shark too. So it had like blood all over its face, and it was dead. That's terrifying. Wow. <laughs> I know. Another thing with this this particular photo. Again, we bring up the the UAP task force. Right, they're they're at the center of this. And something I pointed out is, you know, it makes me a little concerned for the future of the task force. Because here they've only been operating for, well, we can't say because we have no idea, <laughs> but, um, you know, at least for a couple of years, they've been been issuing these reports to the intelligence community and already information's leaking out. That can't bode well for them. Yeah. And also the uh, the credibility of the investigations. Like if if they're, you know, really looking into a Mylar balloon, like, is that the best they're coming up with? I don't know. Absolutely. And, and that's a great point, Ryan. And, and I, I worry about the optics of that. I get that because, again, the UAP task force is not comprised of UFO researchers, mm-hmm. right? These are just military people who were assigned to be in this role to look at UFO data or UFO information. They don't have the background that we do. This is not something that they've done before. I mean, we've analyzed thousands of UFO photos and videos over our careers. And it's something that we are highly focused on and highly tuned to. We've seen various objects in the sky and we've seen what they've turned out to be after investigation. These guys are going into it cold. And, you know, when you see weird stuff in the sky for the first time, obviously you're going to go, wow, I have no idea what that is. That's bizarre. No one's ever seen that before. I mean, these are sort of novices when it comes to this type of thing. And they're, I think they're doing the best they have with the tools they have. So it's not surprising to me because I can certainly attest when I first started and started looking at UFO photos and videos, everything looked extraterrestrial to me. Oh, there's no way that that could be anything man-made. I've never seen anything like that. And obviously if something like that were in the sky and, and was something normal, everybody would know about it. They should be able to easily identify that, but no, that it, that's not the case. And I feel, I feel really bad for the UAP task force trying to do this mm-hmm. and now sort of doing it on a public scale 
where eyeballs are on them. And if it isn't, does in fact turn out to be a balloon, they look kind of foolish being the government's UFO people and they can't even tell that something is a balloon. So I agree. And that, that, that makes them look really bad. But at the same time, I get it. Um, it sucks that, that if that is the case, it was exposed on, on a public scale. They should be able to, to do that and learn in private. Um, but hopefully that doesn't uh, diminish the, the project at all. Yeah, and I was thinking too to something you said earlier, Jason, about about the story, this story or stories like that and how people want to be in a rush to go to, hey, it's, you know, extraterrestrial. When you think about it, we certainly as the UFO community and, and probably a little, you know, a circle outside that, we have been primed to kind of think that way. So when I'm talking about like TTSA and they came out and we know in 2017 and we see these series of articles from the New York Times and stuff. So now we're kind of, it's set a pattern and we're kind of interpreting as new, as new reports come or, or new stories or new articles, we're kind of primed from, to, to have that kind of point of view, um, right up front. And, you know, the debrief did a great job, good article, good research and, and all of those things. However, for me as an investigator, you know, I'm starving for so much more. There's a point where you have to get the story out and I get it and you can't, you know, you're not going to, you know, have the entire tome of data and all that. But we have to temper our excitement when these things happen, knowing that what we're hearing about is, is at best preliminary, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it'll take thousands of hours and research and and data collection and blah 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 to to really nail some of these things down so i just i kind of when i see stories like this i'm like great cool but i'm not getting excited and i would love to hear the follow-up later like you're talking about earlier with guys like george knapp and stuff hey you know this is what we first thought but now you know, this is an update. This is what the research has revealed and so forth. So, you know, like even the, the, the photo itself and the metadata of that photo, you know, that's just a basic one-on-one place to start and who took it and when and what time and what altitude, what were the GPS coordinates and, you know, where were the lighting conditions and can we make a comparison? And was it the Wizzo in the backseat that took that photo or was it the pilot in the front? You know, there's a billion little details that really will nail this thing, but you can't rush to judgment until you go through that process. So just for me as a, from an investigator, I kind of see it that way. Um, although I think the most critical thing is investigative journalists. That's what's going to cut through all this, this stuff, this confusion with the government and, you know, other articles. I mean, those, those are the guys that are getting, they're the tip of the spear and that needs to happen, but there really needs to be a, a great deal of investigative push behind it. And I will say I have to give huge props to the team at The Debrief because I'm big fans of, and especially Tim. Tim McMillan is a journalist through and through. Um, Nobody really right now pushes harder for sources and information and verifying uh, information than Tim does. Tim can be a pain in the ass and that's amazing for, you know, an amazing journalistic skill. (laughs) Um, So, I I mean, I am, I'm in Ryan is, is contributing to yeah. the debrief now. Um, they've got a great team. You know, those are, those are all our buds um, who I envy their skills because um, Ryan, MJ Benias, yes. uh, Tim McMillan and Micah Hanks, mm. you know, are people who can just kind of vomit words <laughs> <laughs> very quickly, you know, and that is a skill I don't have. It takes me very long to, to write. Um, they've got some amazing writers uh, doing that. And I think we're going to get some great stuff in the new year coming from that. And it gives me confidence knowing them yes. and knowing their integrity and just how journalistic they are and what they do, um, that they really are doing that extra push to try to get the information, to verify sources and verify the information that they are printing. So it's yeah, excellent. Love to those guys. Yep. And and just awesome. to clarify, because I'm going to clarify this because it came up on Facebook, is, you know, Jason and I were hosting a podcast um, earlier this year prior to the release of the debrief called the Skinwalker Debrief that was focused on the Skinwalker Ranch. And apparently there's some confusion. People are thinking that we are part of the debrief in that sense. And uh, no, the two projects were completely unrelated and uh, just happens to use the debrief in both. 
random important to clear yeah. that up yeah conspiracy theorists <laughs> will go wild surprising <laughs> that that yes that, that has happened all right and we've reached our number 10 story and that is the Galactic Federation. Uh, how could we not talk about the Galactic <laughs> Federation? <laughs> Ryan, go with it. Why that. not? Why not, right? Yep. I mean, this was as recent as December 2nd. And uh, again, yeah. like many of the stories we covered, you know, it was the big thing for the day and then poof, kind of gone. But um, I do respect some of the follow-up done by certain people who we'll get to. But uh, let's start here. December 2nd, an Israeli newspaper published a story in Hebrew that featured an interview with Professor Haim Ashad, a former head of Israel's Defense Ministries space programs. The interview contained shocking claims from Professor Ashad, like the quote, unidentified flying objects have asked not to publish that they are here. Humanity is not ready yet, end quote. End quote. There is an agreement between the U.S. government and the aliens. They signed a contract with us to do experiments here, end quote. So the uh, the Jerusalem Post was the first media outlet to run a story about this interview in English. And uh, that set off a chain reaction of coverage by media outlets around the world, including here in the U.S., Fox, CNN, everyone was talking about this. And um, the interview with Professor Ashad was part of a publicity effort to promote a new book about him written by Israeli writer Hagar Yanai titled The Universe Beyond the Horizon Talks with Professor Haim Ashad. So um, yeah, these headlines went crazy. The Galactic Federation was the big thing for a while. Um, certain people have who have pushed this narrative of there is a big Galactic Federation were just eating this up. And saying we were right all along. And then filmmaker Jeremy Corbell, he just interviewed the journalist who uh, recently interviewed Professor Ashad for the article that sparked all the attention. And it provides some really good insight into the whole thing. And um, I would highly suggest people go watch that interview that Jeremy did on his YouTube channel if you haven't seen it. Because it does clear up a lot of this. And because the original article was in Hebrew, a lot got lost in translation. And the uh, the professor is not really talking about it. He's not taking fielding calls about this because he's overwhelmed by the attention it's gotten. But um, yeah, what do you guys make of this? I would keep watching Jeremy's channel because I, I do think that he'll have an interview with I him soon. Yeah. I know he's trying really hard, so I, I think that'll happen. Uh, but, you know, right from the start, I was surprised to see as many people as I did sort of equating this to Paul Hellyer. And I think that is very apt in this situation. It mm -hmm. really is. You know, you've got uh, an accomplished, respected government person here who's making these incredible claims. But really, we find that most of it, as, as we expected, is just, you know, him reciting things that he personally believes, things that he's read, things that, of course, we've heard in UFO lore, right. um, things that, you know, other people have told him. So that's that's not uncommon. It's really not. And, and, and you know, apparently, like, I know that there were a lot of, like, Twitter th – or not Twitter, Reddit threads going nuts on this because they were like, he's basically just talking about – he's heard, you know, these Bill Cooper stories, conspiracy theories about the Eisenhower, and then reciting things that Laura Eisenhower has said the the yep. uh, yeah. And and these are people who are extremely fringe in their beliefs. Yeah. And so that lost in translation part from Hebrew to English is definitely a huge factor in this. And and yeah, good on Jeremy for for kind of getting that interview with with uh, the journalist because I think we all knew like this is not quite what it seems <clears throat> what 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 is being said here and. And yeah, again, this is a story that had my phone blowing up again. Maureen, what's going on with this Galactic Federation? What is this? What's happening? Are, is this real? I'm like, don't read anything into it. This this has been said by other people before, and it's not very credible. So I, I think that, that, yeah, that due diligence as a journalist to like get in there and clarify sensational news is super important. And and I'm glad that we have people like Jeremy and other people who are going back and doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, yeah. like this is one of those stories that's going to end 2020 and it's one of the most sensational and it 
puts us back three steps. Every time we have something good happen in this field, it seems like something comes right after to kind of discredit it. So, I mean, it's frustrating in one way. In another, I mean, it keeps the conversation going. But uh, again, I think follow-up, that's something Tim's doing at the debrief. We haven't heard the last of those two UAP task force reports. Mm -hmm. I know that for a fact. We're going to get follow-up. And same with Jeremy. Like, if we can hear from this professor, then that'll be awesome to finally, like, put this to rest. Like, is this something you read in a book or heard in an interview? Or do you firmly believe that, uh, you know, Trump was going to disclose this information and the alien said, hey, put the brakes on there, mister. I don't know. Yeah, well, and, and also you have to know that this the the Trump comments came at, at a very crucial election exactly. time. Where maybe he's of the opinion that, that Trump is the right person to be ruling the U.S. And he was thinking maybe this will help in all these lawsuits and battles. People will be like, oh, wait, wait, Trump's going to reveal UFOs. <laughs> maybe we should go yeah. into that. Who knows what that mindset was for that particular presidential comment um, or whether it was just based on the fact that the, the as, as Jason phrased, UFO lore of this galactic federation and agreement mm. with, with extraterrestrials was based on this whole Eisenhower thing. Um, so who knows? And, and yeah, like you said, one step forward, uh, two steps back, uh, with our, with our, uh, progress in making this a legitimate subject, but also like galactic federation. I mean, if we're me, <laughs> that seems a little too English of a terminology that like, Unless it was created by the the U.S. to say you're now called the Galactic Federation. I mean, yeah, aliens aren't speaking English. Come on, yeah, <laughs> it's almost as dumb as uh, calling people from the Space Force guardians. I, know, I saw Ooh. that today. Uh, I was hoping they're the guardians of the galaxy. Exactly. I mean, galaxy. everything they're doing is is just like entertainment. It, it, they're making them out to be such a joke. Yeah. It's just like, yay, President Trump is is a sci-fi fan and he thinks this is all cool and fun. So let's have a space force. Let's have them be guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. Yay. Whatever. <laughs> but I, back to this story about the Galactic Federation and about Professor Ashad. Um, again, back to the point of the language problem here and about the root being in Hebrew. It made very difficult the task of trying to verify details, um, even about the professor himself. You saw that all the all the articles that were written by NBC and every major outlet around the world, they were essentially reciting things that the Jerusalem Post had said, or you know, kind of finding bits and pieces here and there. But really, finding anything about the guy on the internet is incredibly challenging. There's really nothing there, um, certainly in English. That's a big problem. The Israeli space program is not a major space program. Yes, they've made huge strides. They've done a lot with satellites and things, but they are not a major player when it comes to space. So that might play a part in it, but there is really not a whole lot written about this guy in the English language. Even his Wikipedia page, and you know, as a researcher, this this would raise flags if this is all there was. But even a Wikipedia, the English Wikipedia page for this guy was only created in December after the story mm-hmm. had dropped. So that seems fishy. But there is one on the Hebrew version of Wikipedia that, of course, has been there. But uh, even in English, some of the only stuff that's out there about him has his first name spelled differently. And again, maybe that's a translation thing between Hebrew and English that could be, you know, similar with his first name, Chaim, H-A-I-M, and then Chaim, C-H-A-I-M. So the discrepancy there between even how to spell his name is kind of weird. <laughs> so you could get all conspiratorial with this story too and how real it is. But we know it's real. There is a book. Um, if I've read Hebrew, I would buy the book and read it. But some people have done that and highlighted the passages and translated it um, and posted it to Twitter. So you can kind of read some of the stuff that's in the book, but it doesn't seem all that exciting. I don't know from the stuff I've seen. So it's been said that like a third of the book is about UFOs and aliens, but you know, the stuff I've seen translated seems very mild, but uh, again, it's a story that uh, was all too ripe for the picking for the press. And 
fortunately, people like Jeremy are out there and, and will keep follow-ups with this story coming. So excited for that. Yep. Well, that is our 10 stories, but I will throw in a couple honorable mentions here because it was a long year. It was a weird year. A lot of things happened, but uh, we did a lot of things here at Rogue Planet. It, it feels weird, like they didn't actually happen this year, but they did. Um, we did our own virtual conference called All the Strange. That happened this year. Um, and, you know, tooting our, our horn here, I think it was pretty awesome. <laughs> I do too. It was. It was awesome. It was so fun, man. Yeah. So It sucked. <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> Maureen's always the critical one. It. We need that person. Uh, we need that person so, in I gotta, the crew. I, I got to keep you guys grounded. Exactly. <laughs> you do. You do. That's no. why we have you here. Uh, yes, we need it. It, it was great. So, it's that journalism yeah, 101 so, degree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we did our All the Strange conference. We also had Shane's book release. Yeah. Shane released his first book this year. Yeah. Yay, Shane. Yeah. That was awesome. Yay, Jason, for helping me do that. That was awesome. <laughs> but then Ryan also released a book this year. So yay, Ryan. Yay, Ryan. Just doing my small golf clap here. <laughs> And we also, as you mentioned earlier, Maureen, we did a Skinwalker Ranch podcast, um, you know, sort of in conjunction with the Skinwalker Ranch TV show. So that happened this year. That seems like so long ago, but yeah. that happened too. So we we had a busy year here at Rogue Planet. Yep. Yeah, it was awesome. great. I barely remember what day of the week it is uh, lately. <laughs> yes. and, and yeah, this year has completely, I think, turned everyone up on end. So. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we're rolling over to 2021 uh, and it will be this magical new fresh year. But I, I hope for F's sake that uh, things improve here soon. Don't we all? Yeah. Well, guys, I want to thank you all for taking the time to run through these stories today. I always love it when we can all get together and, and do these these group shows so thank you, first of all. Of course. And before we wrap up today, I want to let everybody know about changes coming to this show. Starting in the new year, Unknown is going to shift to a monthly schedule. And each month, we'll highlight and recap some of the noteworthy stories from that month. Of course, we'll throw in occasional UFO happy hour episodes here and there. But mostly we'll release new episodes on a monthly schedule. And to satisfy your UFO appetite... You always have Ryan's weekly show somewhere in the skies. Make sure you're subscribed to that show if you're not already. Well, citizens, that's going to do it for this episode. You can find more episodes of Unknown on all the major podcast platforms. And you can always find this show and our other shows at RoguePlanet.tv because Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. RoguePlanet.tv is your home for all the strange. Thanks for riding along with us during this weird year. Happy holidays to you and yours. And thanks again for hanging out today. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Maureen Ellsbury. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Shane Hurd. Do us a favor, friends. Always treat the UFO subject with the cautious and responsible skepticism it deserves. Question everything. Have the courage to form your own opinions. Keep truth as the focus of your quest, even if the truth conflicts with your opinions. And, of course, stay strange. Stay strange.